Good morning, Mission Ebenezer Family Church. How we doing? All right, we're doing a little switcheroo, a little clean mic action. Uh, just wanted to ask everybody to, you know, do your part. Be safe. Be smart. Pray for our, my family. Pastor Isaac has COVID. And uh, so he went and got that special shot over at Kaiser. Thank the Lord he qualified for that. And nine members in my family have COVID, including a couple members in my own personal family. So I'm going to stay away as far away from everybody today as possible. I'm feeling fine. I got no issues. I got no problems. I feel good. But I want to make sure that you all stay safe just in case I'm carrying anything uh, with me from my house. Is that all right? Is that all right? Amen. Amen. Well, can you believe this is the last Sunday of the year? I can't believe this is the last Sunday of the year. We're already here, like Brother Stephen said, we are at the end of 2021. Our annual theme was, by his grace, by his grace, por su gracia. And we are preparing to roll into the new year. The theme for next year is, is this, all things new in 2022. All things new. And it comes from Isaiah 43, 19, where it says that all things become new especially when God is there at the center of it all. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Um, we're going to wrap up the year. We're going to stay in the, the Christmas narrative, and we're going to read a portion of Scripture that doesn't always fit into the Advent season or the Advent calendar of Christmas. All right? And what we want to do is we're going we're gonna to take a look at, at Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read through the whole thing. But before we do, Mission Ebenezer, um, <clears throat> I just wanted to, you know, connect with you guys and, 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 and take our minds to a place right now where we can um, orient ourselves in the big picture. Everybody say the big picture. The big picture is so important to us in life, the big picture. Sometimes we get, we get so bogged down in what is right directly in front of us that we forget to see the big picture. Sometimes we get so caught up in what is going on in our lives, in your life, that we forget the big picture. Sometimes we get so prideful. Sometimes we are so arrogant. And I say we. Sometimes we become so egocentric that everything is about us. It's about how I feel. It's about what I think and what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. And we forget that there are things that affect others all around us. There are decisions that we make that affect everybody around us. And we're going to go to the word today to understand what this means. The title of today's message is Jesus at the center of it all. Repeat that with me, church. Say, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. It's so important that for us as believers to connect the natural with the spiritual. You as a living being, you as a Christian, you as a, a, a spirit-filled human being cannot separate the natural from the spiritual. You could try all you want to separate the physical from the spiritual, but you can't. You can try all you want to separate 
the material from the spiritual, but you won't be able to. They work in cooperation with one another. They work hand in hand with each other. And the Bible teaches us this. Have you ever um, heard the saying, play with fire and you're going to get burned? You play with fire, you're going to get burned. You're like, that's not in the Bible. Well, it kind of is. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says, Though it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And Jesus taught those words. Don't tempt God. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. Do your part. The natural, the physical, the material, we all work hand in hand. Like Brother Stephen was saying, hey, the Bible says to give your tent to God. Well, guess what? You can look at giving tithes as both spiritual through obedience and material. It's where the spiritual and the material meet because God has chosen it to be that way. God chose for himself to become a man. God chose for Jesus, the Son of God, to become one of us, to, to find us here on this earth. To become one of us, to redeem the whole world. It's part of God's redemption plan. Somebody say redemption. It's part of God's redemption plan. Just the other day, we were going through all these different teachings and lessons as a family. We did our devotion yesterday um, around the, the, the Christmas living room um, setting at our house. We had the fireplace going there in the background and wood was crackling and it was wonderful and nice and warm. Um, sorry about that. Those of, you, those of you who had a had a cold living room, you know, come see us. We'll give you a heater. We had a fireplace going and it was beautiful. And after the end of our reading the lesson out of Luke chapter 2, I said, Lola, what is the meaning of Christmas? And she says, it's all about Jesus, daddy. I said, that's right. And we all gave her a great big round of applause because our five-year-old daughter knows that Christmas is all about Jesus. How many of you know that the world that we live in is all about Jesus? It's all about Jesus. You can try and, and remove. You can try and fight. You can try and resist. You can try and argue. You can try and unthink God, but you can't. Because you were made in the image of God. And he loved you so much that he allowed you to be. He allowed you to become. He allowed you to become a being. Because he's God. And that's how much he loves us. I also asked Lola, Lola, what is the meaning of Caesar? And she's both. And actually, I asked the kids. I said, guys, so as a review, what is the meaning of Caesar? We were teaching the whole Christmas story. And, Lola, and Judah goes, oh, I forgot. And Lola goes, it means king, dad. I said, man, you get an A++ for the day, Lola. But I remember when I was about Lola's age. How many of you remember when you were about five or six? Raise your hand. Can you remember that far? Any of you guys remember as far back as five or six? I remember as far back as five or six and even beyond. As a matter of fact, one day I was riding in the backseat of my parents' vehicle and my mom was taking me to attract me. And we were getting on this, this ramp right here, Figueroa onto the 110 freeway right here next to the church. I was six years old and we were on our way to a track meet. It was the first time in my life that I had become aware that I actually
actually was not the leading role in life's drama. It was the first time in my life that I realized that other people were actually real and it wasn't just me who was real. You see, I, up until the point, the, that point of the age of six, I had such an, an egocentric perspective on life. I thought the, the world revolved around me. And how many of us still sometimes think that the world revolves around us? Amen. Don't we feel like that sometimes? It revolves around me. Didn't, did you forget? I was six years old and I, it was the first time in my life that I had realized that other people were real also. And they weren't just a whole bunch of aliens, you know, out to serve me and my needs and what I need, uh, everything that I needed to survive or to make me happy. But life was more to it than just me. Life is more to it than just you and what you want. Life has more to do with what God desires for your life, for our life, for this world, than you and I can even imagine. Give the Lord a hand of praise right there. Because that, uh, that is a clapper. Praise the Lord. I remember learning in school, studying that up until the 16th century, people had thought that the universe revolved around the earth. Up until the 16th century, until Nicholas Copernicus hypothesized and began to set out by a series of mathematics and physics to demonstrate that it was actually a heliocentric gravitational pull that kept the universe together rather than the earth being at the center of the universe or the gravitational pull. And science has developed and science has allowed us to understand the, all of the different gravitational pulls that work in conjunction with one another in this great big thing that we call God's creation. It was a realization for mankind when Copernicus established that and people started to understand that the, that the sun, the S-U-N, was the center of the gravitational pull. Isn't that interesting? Once upon a time, the people of Israel also thought that they were the center of the world because they were God's chosen people. They, they, they knew and they thought that they were the stuff because God said, I choose you. I pick you. They had no, they had no contribution to it other than the fact that God chose them. They were the chosen people, just like you are the chosen of God. God didn't choose you because you're more special than anybody else. God chose you because he loved you first. God chose you and decided to redeem your life and this world through his son, Jesus Christ. So he gave us Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Amen. Well, Israel had such an ethnocentric perspective on, on life, on the world, on the way things were. The people of Israel thought it was all about them. But that's a problem because they needed to understand that the reason why God chose them was for the sake of others. God chose them so that they would understand that God wanted to use them, that they had a, a greater role, that they played a huge part in the redemption plan of mankind, of, of humankind. 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and let's begin to parse through the scripture that we find before us today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, verse 1, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Pause there for a moment. We see here that Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and, and we all know by now why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because of the census that Quirinius, the governor of Syria at the time, had implemented so as to take a population count of everybody in the Roman Empire. They wanted to see how big Rome was. Caesar, in his huge ego, Caesar Augustus, wanted to see how large and how expansive the Roman Empire had become, and it was the largest civilization or empire known to man at that time. They had all kinds of technology. They had all kinds of resources. They had weapons of warfare. They had also intellect. They had strategy. They had all kinds of things that allowed them to be so powerful. They wanted to know how many people were there that they governed and that they led. During the time of King Herod, you see, King Herod, being the king of the Jews, also had to come to grips with the fact that it wasn't all about him. As a matter of fact, he was much like a, a puppet king because the real king of, of Rome was who? Caesar Augustus, King Augustus. So King Herod, he had to settle for the governance that was placed in his hands, and that was over the people of Israel and the region of Israel or Judea. How many are tracking with me so far? I'm teaching today. Is that okay? I want us to have knowledge. I want us to understand what God is doing here. Then it says that magi or wise men or kings from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they were in the east and had to come all the way westward towards Israel, towards Judea, following the star. God actually intervened in creation and allowed the wise men from the east to follow the star to where it brought them in Jerusalem, the region of Jerusalem and Israel. And there were three kings, three wise men that also understood that there was something that was greater than them. As, as wise as they were, as smart as they were, there weren't a whole lot of people who knew how to, to follow the constellation and understand the significance of God revealing himself to them through nature. Through nature. God reveals himself to us through so many different means. What a beautiful thing it is when we can recognize it. Amen. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. They searched the scriptures all the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and they found out that the prophecies were pointing to Bethlehem in Judea. So now Herod is using the ancient scriptures to try and locate where this 
king of the Jews was to be born because now that means that he was threatened by the story of Christ. And he was made aware of what was going on because these three kings had come from afar and the first place they went was to the palace. The first place they went was to Herod, thinking that Herod would, would, would understand and would know and, and he too would be a part of this great movement of God. Have you ever realized the role of the part that you play in the kingdom of God? Have you ever realized the role, the part that you play and the story that you're a part of in God's grand story? Have you ever realized the role that you have in the story of God? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Praise the Lord. Amen. We see that that is a, an Old Testament passage from the, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, who speaks of Bethlehem and the shepherd that would shepherd Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Oh, what a sneaky fella, huh? Manipulator. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, verse 10, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here is another instance where God appeared to human beings through dreams to communicate to them what needed to take place in order for them to be used in the story of the Christ child. Are you following me so far? We know that the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him of the, the virgin birth of Christ so that he would not leave Mary, but God needed Joseph to, to stick around and be a part of the great plan. So God had to reveal himself to Joseph through a dream. Now the Lord revealed to the wise men in a dream while they were there in Bethlehem that they needed to go another route back to their place of origin. And why? Because Herod wanted to destroy Jesus. Let's continue to read. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Okay, this is the second time an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Are we seeing a pattern here? The second time an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, and it says this, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Watch this, verse 14. So he got up. He took the child and his mother 
during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. All right, let's pause there for another moment. We got Joseph, who was warned in a dream by an angel of the Lord that he needed to take Jesus and his wife Mary, and they needed to go to Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but, but oftentimes in the Bible, Egypt gets a bad rap. Egypt tends to, to carry with itself negative connotations. There's even mention of the plagues of Egypt. Things of that nature. But Egypt wasn't always a bad place. Egypt was the place that God used Joseph, the son of Jacob, to deliver Israel. So Joseph was a messianic type who God used to deliver Israel in Egypt because it was a place of plenty. Egypt was also a place that helped produce Moses, another redeemer, another deliverer, another messianic type. A deliverer type, a Christ type, a type of Christ to deliver Israel out of slavery once they had become too large in Egypt for the Egyptian Pharaoh to be comfort, comfortable. He said, these people are, are far exceed our ability to govern them any longer. Oppress them some more. At that point is when God says, okay, it's time for us to get up and out. This ain't good for my people. But now our people have, have, have grown. Our people's numbers have expanded. And, and you think about human history. Oh, why did God leave the, the children of Israel there in Egypt? The Bible says that the oppression was so hard in Egypt and, and, and that the rule of, of Pharaoh was so hard that the people, all they could do was turn towards one another. And in their oppression and in their despair and in their, their suppression, guess what? They multiply. And God wanted to use the multiplication of the people as a number to then have them leave Egypt with over two million people. They lived in a land of plenty and a civilization that was well-governed and well-established, and we call it Egypt. Egypt isn't always a bad place. It has a whole lot of good stuff as well. And God directed Joseph and Mary and Jesus to go to Egypt. I want to pause there for a moment. I want to just highlight something. I want to highlight the fact that by the time the, the wise men had gotten to Jerusalem, it had been about two years. The reason why we know it's about two years is because what we're going to read right here in the scriptures. Let's look. Verse 15b. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son, according to Hosea chapter 11, that his son shall be called out of Egypt. When Herod realized that he had been outfitted, uh, outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So they're piecing things together, trying to understand things. And here Herod says, now kill all the boys that are two years and under. So that means Jesus was about two years old by the time the Magi had come to Bethlehem. Are you following me so far? So the story of the Christmas tradition and, and, and the Christmas story, guess what? We see the shepherds at, at the stable and around the manger. We see 
the shep, uh, excuse me, we see the magi or the, the, the kings, the wise kings that are there at the Christmas nativity. But guess what? It did not all happen when Jesus was born right away. We piece all of these things together to, get, to grasp a greater whole and a greater understanding of this beautiful narr- narrative and the redemption story of God. Are you following me so far, church? Praise the Lord. Let's continue reading. Verse 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Why Rachel? Well, because Rachel was married to Jacob. And Jacob's other name is what? Anybody know? Israel. So these are the children of Israel. Rachel's children. It says there is weeping and mourning. And there would be no comfort. There will be no comfort because they are no more. They rounded up all of the children, much like in the story of Moses, when they rounded up all of the the male children in Egypt to decimate them and to oppress the Jews even more. And here we go, fast forward, thousands of years later, and we see what is taking place. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Ah, somebody say, an angel of the Lord. And Joseph had a special relationship with this angel, didn't he? I believe in angels. I believe that the Lord intervenes in time and space. I believe that God speaks to us in all different kinds of ways, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus himself. He was one of God's revelations. Believe that angelic appearance and, and presence is not another one of God's revelations to mankind. I believe that nature is one of those revelations. And I believe the church or the body of Christ is another revelation of God to humanity. And it appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Can I hear an amen? So he got up. He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Somebody say a Nazarene. So there's so many things here in the scriptures that help us in our faith and help us to understand how many things point to God, the existence of God, point to the fact that Jesus truly existed and Jesus was the son of God. And Jesus was Messiah and not just another Jewish boy. That Jesus was truly born of a virgin and not just a myth. There's historical accounts in the Old Testament which are just as sound as any other historical document. Even Josephus, one of the great 
historical accounts of, of humankind in Israel, you can make parallel comparisons to the scriptures. If we're going to give any credence to education, if we're going to give any credence to wisdom, literature, ancient thought, then we also have to, to pay respect and give respect to what we see here in the scriptures and allow our, our mind, our intellect to connect with the spiritual so that we could see that there is power in the word of God. And through God's revelation, through his divine word, that is where you and I receive our salvation through our belief. Can I hear an amen? That God uses everything at his disposal to help bring each and every one of us along life's journey. And here we are at the end of another year. Trying to figure out what God is up to. Last week we preached and talked about an imperfect throne. An imperfect kingdom enthroned by a perfect king. How many of you remember the message? How many of you know this Christmas has been everything but perfect? Everything but. Oh, we would all love to get together in one big, huge household and laugh and sing and, and, and unwrap presents and hug one another and, and give vessels to one another and, and, and watch uh, Home Alone for the 55th time. But we see here that God intervenes and God breaks up the monotony of life to remind us that he is in charge. To remind us that he is in control. To remind us that Christmas ain't all about presents. To remind us that when we get in, get in the way and start making things about uh, a different meaning and giving things a different definition, God has to remind us that it is all about Jesus. That there are no substitutes. That the natural works in cooperation with the spiritual. What if Joseph would have been proud and arrogant? He said, I'm not going anywhere. Don't you know I'm a carpenter? What would I do? I can't leave this whole life that God has given to me. What if Joseph would have said, no, I'm not marrying that woman. What if Joseph would have said, no, I'm not going to Egypt. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid of no king. What if Joseph would have been caught up in the flesh? I saw a t-shirt this year that I just really, 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 really loved. You want to know what it said? Shut the flesh up. Sister Marisol invented it. Sometimes you got to shut the flesh up. You love that, huh, Jane? Jane, he loves that. Praise the Lord. Son, Joseph had to shut the flesh up. As a matter of fact, he was so obedient that every time the angel appeared to him in both dreams, he got up right away and took off. Why would anyone tempt God? The natural works in cooperation with the spiritual. Sometimes we're so arrogant and we stand till we're, we're blue in the face, standing on a, a hill that we're willing to die on. The only problem is that you forgot that your life is connected to others. And before we become so egocentric and so arrogant and so self-centered, 
in our own pride, in our own thoughts, caught up in our own ideas, that we have to stop and think about how it affects others. Jesus would have been killed. Jesus would have been murdered by Herod. They would not have stood a chance against the Roman imperial guard that were rounding up all of the other Jewish baby boys that were slaughtered by the thousands there in all of Israel. It happened. It happened. I'm not here to become political. I'm here simply to say, are there things that you have to think about that are larger than you, that you have to trust God and know that he is in control and that he is in charge and that he wants you to pay attention to everything around you so that you have the best chance to allow your life to live as long as he desires for you to live. You know what? There's a whole lot of things that I believe. But I'm married to a woman named Boomy. And I have three children named Elisha, Judah, and Lola. I have to make decisions keeping into account how their lives are directly impacted. The implications of my decisions in life, whether I choose to sin, whether I choose to live this lifestyle, whether I choose to go into 2022 doing the same things, allowing sin to wreak havoc on my spiritual life, allowing Satan to rob me of the peace and security that the Holy Spirit wants to give me. If I were only able to turn and surrender everything over to God and say, God, I trust you, sometimes I can't even trust my heart. God, I trust you, and I trust your word. Sometimes I can't even trust my thoughts. God, I trust you. I don't trust YouTube. God, I trust you. I don't trust the news. God, I trust you. Reveal yourself to me, Father God. You can choose to do whatever you want, church. God blessed you and gave you free will. You don't have to do anything. And I'm not telling you to go and do anything. I'm telling you to serve God. I'm telling you to recognize and realize that your natural body and your natural decisions play a part in the redemption story of God. Just like Joseph's, just like the wise men who realized that life wasn't all about them. And that there was someone who was greater and larger than them. And his name was Jesus. And he was the true king of kings and lord of lords. Well, who's the bad guy in this story? Ugly old King Herod. Who could never get it. Who could never understand because he was so bent upon trying to Protect his throne. He, didn't, he forgot how big God was. If Herod had been praying, he might have also known what was going on right around him. If sometimes you and I would just get back to praying. We might, we might begin to see the revelation that God wants to show us and direct us. If we got back to, to searching the word of God 
and paying attention to the sign. Maybe instead of looking at our problems, maybe we look up and see the star of David that is pointing right over Bethlehem, that is directing us right to the king, right to the feet of the throne of the King Jesus, right there so that we can say there is a God who loves me, a God who forgives me of my sin, and I am supposed to play a part in the redemption plan of Jesus. Because everything before Jesus was pointing to Jesus. And everything after Jesus is still pointing to Jesus. And the story doesn't end there. We are still awaiting Jesus' return. We are still awaiting Jesus to come down from the heavens, from the clouds. To bring his church unto himself. And the Bible says that there will be a, a thousand year reign. A millennial reign. Where King Jesus will establish his throne in heaven here on earth. In the physical realm. Here on earth there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus will set up shop. That's what the Bible says. Everything pointed to Jesus. And everything is still pointing to Jesus. And we're still pointing to his return. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. You and I have a role, and your story is a part of God's story. And your life also plays a role in preserving your own Christian witness and the Christian witness in the world. Your testimony matters. The way that you choose to live matters. Whatever you and I carry in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, it is a part of the redemption story of Jesus. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And the story is really simple. Jesus saves. So it's a story of salvation. It's a story that God wins, always wins, and never loses. It's the only story that is undefeated. Can I hear an amen? So here's a few takeaways for us. Number one, God has a plan for each person in his story of redemption, including the biblical stories and persons and ours. The people of Israel, Joseph, Mary, the Magi. Praise the Lord. Number two, Egypt. Egypt represents a place of refuge, of restoration, of preservation in the story of Christ. At the end of this year, I, I would like for us to ask the question, where am I? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? And what place may God be taking you to? God has different seasons and different chapters and different places for us to be, for us to grow, for us to mature. Just like God used Egypt. God is using you in the place where you're at in your own life, in your spiritual life.
You may be asking the question, God, why did you allow all these things to happen to me or to us? It wasn't supposed to be this way. And God will say, yes, I know. Just trust me. What does God have for you at this point in your life? And where is he taking you this next year? Wherever it is and whatever it is, just know that God is in control and he is directly involved in your life. He's not a hands-off God. He's a hands-on kind of God. I like that about my shepherd. I like that about my Jesus. Don't you like a boss who gets in there and rolls up the sleeves with you? That's how I like to be. And that's how I know my God is. Jesus. At the center of it all. Church, I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask you to pray for my family. Pray for healing. Pray for the nine different people in my family that have this this COVID bug. Thankfully, all of them. Not all of them, but many of them have taken precautions. They're doing their part to get well to be safe but church we need to be reminded that Jesus is at the center of it all and with Jesus at the center of it all you can get through anything I mean anything And I'm thankful for that because you know what? Sometimes it it lets me off the hook when I know I can turn to him. Sometimes life can be a lot. You ever felt overwhelmed? Turn to him. The decisions that you make have implications for a whole lot of people. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the word of God and it will never let you down. The word will never fail you. And the promises of God are yes and amen. For we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Hallelujah. Whatever it is that you have to give to him, whatever it is God's calling you to surrender to him, whatever it is God's calling you to leave behind in this year, to set out and establish a new path, a new direction, Let it go, because God wants to birth new things in your life. The Bible says we must decrease so that he might increase. What must we decrease? What must we discipline in our lives? And what must we grow? What must we feed spiritually? What must we nurture spiritually? in your life 
in our families, in the church, in our relationships, what must we nurture? Not the thought of hurt, not the thought of opposition, not the, the, the memory or the thing that keeps hitting you and keeps causing you to, to, to hold grudges. You gotta let that go. We gotta give that to the Lord. That's gotta decrease and the Lord's gotta increase. Whenever we feel ugly, whenever we see ugly, whenever we do ugly, we have to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And we have to run to the cross of Calvary and we have to choose love. We have to choose mercy. We have to choose grace. We have to choose redemption. We have to choose forgiveness. We have to choose peace. We have to choose love. Hallelujah. 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 If that's you and there's something that you want to give to the Lord today and you don't want to take it into you, take it, take it into the new year with you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I got both of my hands up. Lord Jesus, I'm putting my mind, my heart, my emotions, my feelings. Lord, I'm, I'm putting them on the altar. I'm giving them to you, Lord, because I, I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to be courageous. I want to be full of power. I want to be full of authority. Hallelujah. I want to have a heart that is obedient to you, Father God. Hallelujah. So, Father, at the end of this year, we stand before you alive. In our right mind. In our right spirit. We place you at the center of it all. And we, Lord Jesus, surrender ourselves, the natural, material, the physical, to the spiritual. Because what you have birthed in us is eternal life through our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, church. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you next time. I love you.